today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Ted Bear. As please stand up as we welcome him for him to share the word. I get worried with all those introductions. You're a blessing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike, for giving me your pulpit today. And can we get the my screen up there if I can see it? Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Well, I'm glad that uh, Karen introduced my two sons. I'll say that Robert works with me and uh, has grown our ministry phenomenally. Uh, actually, everywhere we've gone, this is my seventh talk. Now, this is a sermon, so that's good news. But seventh talk in uh, Perth, and seven since it's the number of God. I think this is a blessing. And as I was sitting there, I said, of all my talks, I could feel the presence of God, the Holy Spirit here in a powerful way. Robert has taken our ministry, and he increased it from 1 million on radio to 14 million. He increased the, the website 400%. So he marketed with Disney, and now he's brought those skills here. And everywhere we talk, somebody tries to take him aside and say, how do we do this? Social media. So he's been talking on social media. Pierce is in Tasmania. I know you guys love Tasmania because you send it a lot of money from Western Australia. And, um, and he's got a retreat center to try to help the Tasmanians get closer to God so that they can stop taking your money and start doing something worthwhile with their lives. Uh, I grew up in the entertainment industry, so I'm going to be really, you know, I thought I'd, in most of the places where I speak, I'm sort of unique. But here, I think you are all been saved radically by Jesus. So I think we're in, at home here. But my mother was a star with MGM. My father was a star in about 80 movies. They list 49 of them on IMDb. He won the box office award in 1936. That means he was a tremendous star in 1936. But when I'm speaking to people, and especially the Hollywood people, who have made their life goal fame, I say fame is fleeting. The biggest star in 1950, for instance, was a guy named Robert Taylor. He played in Quo Vadis, a lot of movies. They had a street named after him. Nobody remembers Robert Taylor. I meet kids who don't even remember John Wayne. Do you remember John Wayne? Yeah, but not the kids. You know, so they, we're, we're in big trouble. So if you think fame is the answer to your problems, it's not. If you think fortune is the answer to your problems. But I grew up in the entertainment industry. My father got into it because he got out of college. During the Great Depression and everything else he tried went bankrupt. And they said, you're a good-looking guy. You can ride. You can rope. He'd been in the Calvary and Military Academy, so they put him in the cowboy movies. And he was a great success. And then he did a lot of other movies. But he didn't want me to do that. So he kept saying, go off to Dartmouth and Cambridge and University of Bordeaux and Toulouse. And I went to Columbia University Film School. And eventually I went to NYU Law School. And I was very much anti-Christian. I was very pagan. I grew up backstage at the Broadhurst Theater. Everything you've heard bad about the entertainment industry is true. But I didn't know that it was bad at the time. And I financed, I put together the funding for five feature films. One of them was Oliver Stone's. Anybody ever heard of Oliver Stone? Uh, one of them is his first film. Don't look it up on the Internet. It was a vile, miserable film. He's still making vile, miserable films because I talked to his lawyer the other day. And uh, he hasn't changed a bit. He hasn't found Jesus. But the head of the company found Jesus, and God found me. Uh, while I was doing those films, I was so antagonistic to, to Jesus and everything else. I'd grown up. My mother died when I was young. I figured there couldn't possibly be a God if this horrible event had happened. And a nice, wonderful, elderly woman 
handed me a Bible and said, just tell me what you don't like about it. Now, I just wanted to get away from this woman, so I said, okay, I'll do that. And then months went by, and every week or so, somebody would say, have you read the Bible yet? And finally, I started reading Matthew, and I said, this doesn't make any sense, all these begats. I don't know who's begatting who here. And I start going a little bit further into Matthew, and God just grabs me by the scruff of my neck, and he changes my life. And at that point, I felt I had done these films, and I felt, I don't like this. I want to see if I can redeem the media. I want to get married to my wife, and I want to have children. See, I brought two of my three boys and uh, two of my four children here today to show you that everything we're doing worked out well. So God rescued me. And now, for the rest of our life, we've been trying to redeem the media for the benefit of our children and grandchildren. So I'm going to talk to you about this today, about being a culture-wise person in the midst of a culture that is sometimes very toxic. It's how to teach your family to be media and culture-wise. And Jesus said, of course, uh, let, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. So that's what we want. Now we see little babies. This is actually my granddaughter. I don't know who that other girl is, and I'm sorry about that. But uh, my granddaughter is sweet and innocent. And why do children go from this wonderful gift from God to somebody who is broken and debauched? And it's because they're fed movies that are vile instead of the Ten Commandments. They're fed movies that undermine their faith and their values and their morality instead of movies that build their faith and their values and their morality like the Ten Commandments, which was made during the golden age of Hollywood. So first, I want to tell you some good news. We have had a tremendous blessing. When we started in Hollywood doing our movie guide in 1985, there was only one movie with positive Christian content, and that's a positive portrayal of a Christian sitting on a bus witnessing to somebody. Last year, it was 57%, and I'm sure it's going to be more than that this year. And I think we need to give thanks to God for doing such a mighty work. So we are helping you by cleaning up the media for the benefit of these beautiful children, Carolyn's beautiful children back there, these kids that can make a difference. And I hope the sound's going to work. Good. In today's rapidly changing world, the power of the media cannot be understated. From theatrical screens to handheld mobile devices, media impacts every one of us. And the pulsating source of that impact is Hollywood. Ideas that not only teach, inspire, entertain, and dazzle. That is not like any other red carpet question that I've experienced. But also bring light to our world are what we celebrate here tonight. Direct from the beautiful Beverly Wilshire Hotel in Beverly Hills, California. Honoring the brightest voices of the film and television industries from the past year. It's the 18th Annual Movie Guide Awards. Now to make life better for all of us, we give these awards out. We give a a big prize for movies with faith and values, television with faith and values. Even first-time screenwriters, I hope that one of you will be inspired by God. I'll get to that later because we give a prize for people who make their first script and who do well with it so that they can change the industry. When we do those prizes, we do a detailed economic analysis of the box office. 
And every year we look at the box office in terms of all the dramatic principles, in terms of all the artistic principles, but also in terms of the theology, the ontology, all those fancy words, you know, that mean, is it got a Christian base? And we've found year after year that movies with faith and values do better. At one point I was chairman of a department of a university in the United States uh, uh, called Berkeley. My students would laugh at this slide. Audiences love great movies. That seems like a no-brainer. But what makes a great movie? A great movie is great stories well told. It is a learned craft. If you want to be a great athlete, what do you have to do? You have to practice. If you want to be a great violinist or a great drummer or a great singer, you've got to learn your craft and you've got to practice. If you want to be a great preacher like Mike, you've got to practice. And people, <laughs> you're trying out. And people don't understand. They think they can just do a movie because they've watched movie. You know, my wife has been on chemotherapy for 19 years. I'm not going to let you operate her just because you've watched an operation. You've got to learn your craft. And then you've got to practice. That's why they call it a practice, doctor's practice. They also want a positive worldview. My kids at Berkeley would get a little annoyed at a positive worldview. They want cutting-edge, dramatic, uh, depressing movies. One person, a friend of mine, wrote a movie. And I said, this is really depressing. You know, it sounds to me like a French film. And he said, that's what I wanted to do, a French film. And I said, well, the French don't even like French films. They like, you know, Captain America. They like Finding Nemo. They want Marlon to find Nemo. They don't want Marlon to lose Nemo after all that uh, journey. And they're spiritually uplifting. When they realize how hard it is for Marlon to find Nemo, they know they need an angelfish. They need the Holy Spirit. They need grace. They need salvation. They need somebody to change their life. And therefore, movies with Christian content consistently do better at the box office. And you should be happy about that. I mean, that means you're in the right place at the right time. Even in Australia, I did a program with the Australian Broadcasting Company, and the woman said, well, Australia is too sophisticated for that. And I said, well, look at all the movie guide winners there. Wow, out of the top 20 films, most of them are our winners. Most of them have strong faith and values. Most of them are family-friendly. What happened here? I thought Australia was supposed to be cutting edge. It's so cutting edge. All over the world, people want faith and values. That's why we're licensed in Germany. They translate movie guide into Germany. We're licensed in Russia. Not only were we licensed in Russia, Russia had never cared about the children. Last December 2nd, the Parliament of Russia voted to use our analysis to protect children from the media. Korea, Japan, India... But there's more at stake than profits, and that's why we're here today to talk about your role in this whole process. You know, movies and television program, Walt Disney would have said iPods, iPhones, and all the rest of it and iPads would, are shaping young lives in our society in a tremendous way. You all know that. I'll show you that you know it in a minute. The more educated you are, the more concerned you are about the influence of the media. That means most of these wonderful people who are in public service are concerned about the media. They see the influence of the media. They know the influence of the media. They're not going to run for election unless they take an ad out in the local paper. So they know that the media works to get them elected. We believe that, and the media has an influence. But the more intelligent a child is, the more influenced they are by the mass media of entertainment. This is important. If you tell me that your children are not influenced, what are you telling me about your children? You're intelligent. 
you see something, you see an ad, a billboard, whatever it is, it sticks in your mind. Now, psychiatrists say that never gets out of your mind. And I say to the psychiatrist, you're absolutely wrong because Jesus says he'll renew your mind. So the good news is that he'll change you. But we have 500,000 studies on this. When I was speaking Gold Coast a week ago, a man at Kingdom Investors leaned over to me and said, we're going to fund another study. I said, we don't need another study. We need people to understand the influence of the media. The studies don't do any more about understanding it. By the time a child turns 17 years old, they've spent 60,000 hours in the United States of America with the mass media of entertainment. They've been, spent 11,000 hours in school. One professor at the University of California got so tired of competing with the media, he just turned on a TV and left. When I, spoke, <laughs> when I spoke at Swan Christian Academy here the other day, the man said, the students just want to watch movies. It's hard to teach them. And 2,000 hours with parents, according to Cornell, and 800 hours in church if they go every week from the week that they're born. It's this little girl here. And sometimes they miss, so that means 799, 798. Now think about that for a minute. That looks overwhelming. When my mother was born in Texas in 1906, they didn't have a car. They had a buckboard until 1913 when they got their first Model T Ford. That means they got their strips of behavior, and they got them from their parents. They got them from their church. They got them from their community. They got them from their pastor. Today, where do they get their scripts of behavior? From the mass media of entertainment, because it seduced them away from their church, from their pastor, from their elected leader. And boys are fed a large dose of violence. Now, what does that mean? We know from all of those studies which I can quote to you verbatim and which are all in this wonderful book here, The Culture-Wise Family, that we're almost sold out of. We know from the studies that 7 to 11% of the boys want to copy the violence. Now, that means 89% don't want to copy the violence. You know, I was a pudgy little teddy bear. I didn't want to copy the violence because usually it was some guy beating up on me. I was short. I was pudgy. So about 25% want to copy the drugs and alcohol, probably because they're at the receiving end of the bully who wanted to copy the violence. And about 31% want to copy the sex, etc. Everybody is affected. This one right now, we're going to go to the next one, and I'm going to wait a minute, a second. Does anybody remember the kid, the, the Ph.D. student who went in in Aurora, Colorado and shot up the theater? Do you remember that, Mike? When I got on the plane, he had just, I don't know why it took so long to do this. I'm an attorney. It took a year and somewhat and a couple of months for him to be charged with 111 counts of murder and attempted murder. This is a portrait of this guy, and I want you to think about who he is compared to who you are. The reports on this guy are that he was a Ph.D. student. He was described as very smart, but in the process of dropping out of graduate school. Uh, he is said to have few friends, barely any social life, and they say he allegedly lost touch with reality after becoming obsessed with video games, uh, including role-playing games, something called World of Warcraft, where you compete against people on the Internet. The point is, it seems like he was getting more and more withdrawn, to the point where, Doc, and I don't know what this means, but when his mother was contacted about the incident on Friday, she reportedly said to the, to the reporters, you have the right person. I need to call the police and fly out to Colorado. So he didn't grow up in some ghetto somewhere. He didn't grow up in some gang. He grew up in a, actually, he grew up in a Christian home, a very live Christian home. 
He went to a very live church. I know the pastor of that church in San Diego. He went to a very strong Christian school. I know the man who's been head of that school for 30 years. The man led Denise D'Souza to Christ. He's very evangelical. So he's not some alien. He is a smart kid who is going for his Ph.D., and his brain has been rewired by the scripts of behavior he observes in the mass media. I bet your local constable, all of these people here can say examples of the same exact thing. In fact, when I was speaking about this last week in Sydney, one of the men who were the supporters said his kid was addicted to World of Warcraft. And he asked me, what do you do about it? So here we have it, girls. You know, 66% of the girls feel that they don't measure up to the images they see in movies and television and on the stands and the newspapers, etc. What does that mean for girls? That means that you have little girls in the United States, nine years older, getting plastic surgery. That means you've got girls that are bulimic. That means you've got girls who don't like themselves. And when they don't like themselves, they're more likely to do self-destructive behavior because of the media. Congress in the United States, the American Medical Association said the evidence is irrefutable. The American Psychiatric Association said the evidence is irrefutable. The congressional study on this said the existing research shows beyond a doubt that media violence is linked to youth violence. One expert concludes to argue against it is like arguing against gravity. 500, nobody here is going to argue about it because you, you do advertising, you do promotion, you know what it's like. And we also know as Christians that the word of God will not go forth void. If the word of God is so powerful, we'd better believe it that the adversary is going to invent false information and present it as his word. Now, how did this happen? We know that during the golden age of Hollywood, the church got involved in what was going on, the Catholic Legion of Decency, the Protestant Film Commission, and the Jewish Defense League. In the 1920s, movies were very debauched. Why do I tell you this? Because a couple of Christians came in and turned the movie industry right side up. They went from ecstasy with 13 minutes of nudity to 100% of the movies being general audience that you could take any child to see. For 33 years, movies were clean. My father was a star at that time. Cowboys, good guys, wore white hats. They weren't anti-heroes. You know, you couldn't even kiss the horse, let alone the girl, so you had to be really good in those days. Crime was punished, which was good news. And then what happened? Everybody assumes that what happened is the adversary just took over. What happened is the church stopped being the church. The church stopped being missionaries in Hollywood. The church gave up on the mission field. You went from 100% G-rated films to 82% R-rated films within three years. That's nothing. You went from the greatest story ever told about Jesus to the first sex and Satanism film. Why? Because six months after the Protestant film office shut down, because the largest, most conservative church denomination in the United States pulled its funding, within six months, the Church of Satan opened up a film office. They understood. The Gay Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation opened up a film office. Now there are 1,200 film offices. They understand the value of lobbying. You know, people lobby government. They understand the value of lobbying Hollywood. You went from The Sound of Music to the first uh, X-rated film where the pastor takes the boy up to his room, 
to get on his knees but uh, not to pray. So we had a collapse of culture. And that collapse of culture has had consequences. You talk about spousal abuse. You talk about child abuse. We talk about the horrible blight of abortion. Where does this all start? Well, the Bible tells us it starts with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. And what the media does is throw kerosene, highly flammable stuff, on the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. And therefore, the world has changed. Australia, the unwed birth rate was flat for years and years and years. America, every country I go into, we do the numbers, we do the charts. They were flat, and suddenly this change came out, and uh, there was this exponential increase. What does that mean? Well, we know that parents, that children with two parents do better. They're more stable. Children with one parent, God bless the one parent. They're struggling against the odds. The church needs to help them. But that one parent is having trouble, and the child is having trouble. And therefore, they start engaging in illicit behavior, and prison population goes up. And when I showed this to a class in the United States in a school, I was head of a department at Berkeley, head of a department at City University of New York. When I showed it to one, actually it was a church, a couple of the kids in the front row were sort of laughing. We don't care about sex and violence. But you owe in the United States, not for the Marine Corps, my second son is in the Marine Corps, not for the police, not for the constables, not for the railroads, not for everything that the government runs, you owe for the breakdown in moral values $61,000 a year in the United States. Now, that doesn't make any difference in Australia because you make $62,000 a year on average, so you have $700 left over to buy food. But in the United States, we only average $46,000 a year. So when you hear all those reports about bankruptcy, you're talking about every kid that's graduating from college having more money that he owes for the breakdown of culture than he can afford. The solution starts with you. We need to redeem the media. Remember at the beginning, we're redeeming the media. We went from one movie with positive Christian content to 57%. We need to clean up the media for the benefit of that little girl up there, for the benefit of our children and grandchildren, for the benefit of our wives and our husbands. We also need to teach our kids media wisdom. The most powerful person in Hollywood is not Ted Turner. Anybody ever hear of Ted Turner? He had a network. He went on the Larry King show when he lost his network. Warner Brothers stole it from him. And he cried. He said, my net worth has gone from $9 billion to $1 billion. It was really sad. You know, I, I thought it was just devastating. But the most powerful person is not Ted Turner. It's the 12 to 24-year-old that goes to movies. If that 12 to 24-year-old goes to good movies, they're going to do well at the box office. It's like voting you know, if we vote for the right guy, we're going to get a good government. So that's what we need. We need to help the children vote for the good. Australian parents concerned about the media. When I spoke in Korea, 880 schools came. People were lined up all the way out the door. Australia has one of the highest concerns about the mass media and the influence on their children. In the United States, it's only 42%. I mean, if you take a political issue... <laughs> that you've got almost uniform agreement on, it's the mass media. This is something that I spoke at Parliament the other day in Western Australia at, to a group, and boy, here's an issue that we all agree on. That is a rare phenomenon. And what we know is we can teach children to be culture-wise. 
Many years ago, when I was head of the TV department, City University of New York in the late 70s, 60 professors, the top professors of the nation from psychology and psychiatry and medicine got together and did the first media literacy course. If there's any media literacy course in your schools, it comes from that course. And then we took that and gave it a biblical base. Five minutes a day, parents can teach their children to be media-wise. And if the parents aren't available, the grandparents can teach them. When I was speaking in Poland, Poland had been a big concentration camp under Stalin. There was a documentary I had seen in downtown Poland about how devastated it was. They wouldn't let anybody go to churches. They had destroyed 90% of the churches. They did the same thing in Russia. When the Iron Curtain lifted, people flocked to the church. I said, what happened? They said, the grandparents. The grandparents taught the children their values because the parents were being taken away by the, the state. You can do that. Okay, I'll just summarize it for you. The five keys to media wisdom. Number one, you have to understand the influence of the media. How many of you think the media has an influence? How many politicians would run a campaign without an ad? <laughs> okay, we understand that, right? The more difficult things is the children's stage of development. How old is that young girl there? Three? Three is the imagination stage. Three to seven means that they confuse fact and fiction. I can tell you a lot of stories about it. The book tells a lot of stories. There was a children's show on TV, Mr. Roger. I'm going to tell you a pleasant story. And Mr. Roger had a couple of three-year-olds. He always did. And one little girl looked sad, and he said, what's wrong? She said, how did you get out of the TV so I could see you today? And he said, well, I never was in the TV. And he explained how TV worked with the electron gun and all the you know, the satellite and 22,300 miles in geosynchronous orbit. All the politicians know all this stuff. And uh, he said, do you understand to the little girl? And she said, yes. Of course, she didn't really understand. But how are you going to get back in the TV so I can watch you this afternoon? Now, the problem with that little girl and is not the little girl. She's a precious, beautiful child of God. The problem is I see parents all the time, oh, I don't have money to get a babysitter. I'm going to take them to watch this movie. Or they're not going to notice what they're, they're getting, their scripts of behavior. Do you understand that? And the more intelligent you are, they may not articulate it. They're not going to talk to you about the epistemology of what they've just watched. If they do, you know, introduce them to me. These children are really geniuses. But rather than talking to you about their cognitive development, they're going to be developed inside by what they're watching. And just like that boy that shot up the theater, there's something that triggered him. He wanted to be violent, and this fed the fuel, the flames of the violence inside of him. Understand the grammar of the entertainment industry. You know, I love reading, writing books. I'm on my 31st book. Actually, my son, Jim, who's in Argentina right now because my wife's Argentine, is uh, writing the book, and I'm just taking credit for it, which is what pastors do. Right? <laughs> Except for people like Mike. Mike doesn't do that. But understand the grammar of the entertainment industry. It's different than books. We go to school, and I've gone to a lot of schools for 12 years to learn the grammar of a 15th century technology. Get it. We live in the 21st century. People watch the media. So look at me for a second, and everybody do this. Would you put your hand on your chin? Would you do this for me? And most of you, including all the politicians, have your hand on your cheek because the visual dominates, including mine. So 
Now, why is that? I can give you another example. In the United States, yeah, but in the United States, we have prescription drug commercials. You don't have that here, thank God. And one of them is for Lipitor, which is a heart drug. Anybody here on Lipitor ever taken Lipitor? It's a very one man there. Did you have leg cramps? Yeah, it was awful. So you watch the Lipitor commercial. You got a little heart problem. And it shows this guy who can't get up, and then he takes the Lipitor, and he's dancing with his wife, and the sun is shining, and you're on the beach in California, and the palm trees look beautiful, and everything looks beautiful in the commercial. Underneath it, they have a little crawl. If you've got leg cramps, if your kidney shuts down, if your brain starts to short circuit. At one point, I got so dizzy on another item that my son had to take me to an emergency room. Call the doctor. I couldn't even call the doctor. So what dominates in that commercial? It's not all that little crawl there that you have to worry about leg cramps and et cetera. It's the visual image that life is going to be perfect. I don't care whether it's Lipitor or an arthritis drug or Viagra or something else. They're selling you the sizzle. And the sizzle is visual. And it's the fact that you've been struggling and now your beautiful wife and you can go out and have fun again sailing or whatever you do. But the reality is quite different. And I'm not complaining about Lipitor. I just did, but that's okay. Understand your moral and spiritual values. In most places, including many of the places I've spoken here in Perth, they didn't get it. They don't understand their moral and, and spiritual values. I'm not saying which moral and spiritual values. If you believe what you believe in this church, understand what you believe. Listen to Mike's teaching. Get your show yourself approved. Get involved. Feel the Spirit of God moving in this place. Get in touch with what God's saying and understand the answers. What are the answers? Clearly, to develop discernment, to know the difference between good and evil, and to develop wisdom to choose the good. So how do the answers work? First, you ask what we call an ascertainment question. Five minutes a day, very simple. Sounds like a big word, ascertainment. Who is the hero? Well, let's say if the hero is a person like uh, Jesus, who in the Passion of the Christ gave up his life to save people, how does that compare? What do you think in discernment? Is that good or bad? And in reflection question, the third level of question, what do we think about that? If the hero is somebody in Django or one of those movies that is full of violence, is killing and maiming and mutilating, Ask the discernment question. Is that good or bad? And then the reflection question. How does that work with our values? If the hero is running off and, you know, doing evil things. So you've got to ask the right questions. It's about 122 questions. I was at a Swan Christian school. Is anybody from Swan here? Wonderful school. Somebody last night from there. And one of the professors said he was showing the matrix during his talks. He said, is that okay? And I said, well, the matrix... The first one has a lot of Christian principles. The hero is a Christ figure. He gives up his life. There's a Holy Spirit figure. There's a lot of good in there. But the ontology of the matrix is wrong. As Christians, we believe we live in a real world, real pain, real suffering that needs Jesus. My wife has been on chemotherapy for 19 years. We need Jesus. And in the matrix, that's not so. So kids get confused by the various different flavors of ontology and epistemology. And we have to help them understand it. So everyone needs discernment, no matter who you are. 
Do not be conformed uh, to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What's the antidote to the games? What's the antidote to ADD? Has anybody heard ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder? Has any children of yours ever been declared ADD? There was a psychiatrist in the United States. This is where this comes from. And he was being presented just with a flood of kids that the teacher said the kids needed, what is Ritalin, right, for ADD. And he said, I don't think so. Give me two months with the kids. Just take them and limit their gaming. Don't cut off their gaming because they'll get angry at you, but just limit it. And then get them to bed at a reasonable hour. And three, feed them nutritious meals. And uh, take them outside and play with them for an hour. The average parent spends only two minutes a day talking to their child. And then engage in serious conversation with them. After two months, 90% of those children no longer had signs of ADD. Attention deficit disorder. 10% still did. And he went to the parents. He said, why do they have this problem? Well, well, we couldn't give them nutritious meals, or we couldn't put them to bed at 9 o'clock. There was a famous comedian in the United States named Bill Cosby. Does anybody still remember Bill Cosby? And Bill Cosby had a commercial where he said, if you love your children, you don't tolerate them joining gangs. If you love your children, you don't tolerate them using guns. If you love your children, you don't tolerate them taking drugs. If you love your children, you tell them to go to bed early. You tell them to do their homework. You tell them to get dressed nicely, to go to school, to take their exams, to eat their meals. You know, love is a lot of work. Love takes work. And God doesn't tolerate evil, so we shouldn't tolerate evil. Because that means we don't care about our children. I know that this young man cares about his daughter because he's taken care of him all this time and brought him here. We love her. So we can make a difference. Movie Guide is there for you. It's free. Doesn't cost you a cent. Did I say free? Now, the trouble with free is, you know, it's got a lot of value. We don't tell you thumbs up or thumbs down. We don't want to be the police in your life. We're trying to help the children develop the sermon. We're trying to get them to think about what they're watching. We're trying to get them to change their lives. Very important. And, of course, we're trying to work with the entertainment industry to influence the people behind the scenes so they're not making toxic movies and entertainment. I give them these teddy bear awards that I posed for when I was much younger and much better looking. And here's what we do. When we started Movie Guide, it was just a little press conference at the press club. And I thought that with fear and trembling that none of the entertainment industry was going to show up. And so many showed up that they were standing in the doorway. And looking now back at that is a, an exciting experience to reach the 20-year mark of uh, Movie Guy Awards uh, because we see it that it's, it's matured, it's blossomed beautifully, it's become a standard within the industry. I tell you, friend, I wouldn't trade my name, however small. It's written there beyond the stars in that celestial hall for all the famous names on earth for the glory that they share. I'd rather be an unknown here and have my name up there. God bless you. We 
have to remember that movies are so powerful. They influence the way we dance and the music that we listen to and the way that we speak and the way that we feel. And what an honor to, to be able to tell a story and then to have it recognized. So we are so grateful for the people that are in the audience. It's not about us. It's about the people in the audience. They make the show. They've made the movies. And we want them to be commended and applauded for what they've done. And it's true here today. It's not about me. It's I could be with my three grandchildren in Tasmania that you're sending money to all the time. I could be making a difference in the lives of other people. I came here because I believe the Holy Spirit brought me here today. Because I believe that he's going to move on some of your hearts to teach your kids to be media-wise. When we do in Hollywood, we do this report to the entertainment industry, and the good news is that we've seen that the number of movies with positive Christian content has increased dramatically. Thank you. Thank you. And here's a corollary to that. I don't want to get into Neoplatonism, but Plato can be summarized as saying, a civilization that forgets how to tell its stories dies. The greatest story of all time is the story of Jesus Christ. There have been 130 movies about Jesus. When I was showing the Passion of Christ to a couple of pastors, one of them said, why do we need another movie about Jesus? We've already had the Jesus film. And I said, why did God need Mark, Luke, and John? He already had Matthew. I mean, this is because they reach different people. And we need different churches. And we need people on fire to tell the grand old story. The unfortunate thing, it's like William Butler Yeats's poem, The Second Coming, the worst have lost all conviction. The worst, I switched it around. The best have lost all conviction, and the worst are full of passion and intensity. The best are no longer telling the great stories. I'm here to challenge you and anybody in this audience that God has created you in his image. And what is his image? One, to be creative. In the beginning, God created. And two, to be communicative. So you need to create. You need to tell great stories. I bet the grandparents in this room tell stories to their grandchildren. We need to be telling the better stories, not just to our grandchildren, but to the world at large. We need to get out of the little box we're in and move to a place where we can talk to the world. Seriously. Now, that book that I just sort of run by was a group of people who had a lot of resources. One was the heir to the Walmart fortune. The other was uh, the founder of Compact Computer. About 19 people, they made movies. They didn't do well at the box office. So once a month, I'd take them to, like, Dick Cook, the chairman of Disney, or Barry Reardon, the head of Warner Brothers, and teach them how to do great movies. Anybody can be taught how to do good. And you can be taught to be great if you've got talent. And we need to do great. What can we give our children and grandchildren that's more valuable than a culture that honors Jesus Christ? Anybody have an idea? I don't, because I was saved from darkness. I was saved from a, from a drug culture. I did drugs with my father. I was saved from debauchery. Jesus is the answer. And we need to give the next generation a culture that honors Jesus Christ. So I'm calling you to stand for Christ in Australia. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all who believe in him will have eternal life right here. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right? Can I see her main men? This is a very quiet church here. 
If God loved the world so much, what is, what is Jesus when he was asked what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbors yourself. If we love our neighbor, aren't we going to try to bring them the good news of Jesus Christ that rescues us from the pit of darkness? Aren't we going to try to do more to get out in the world? And aren't we going to try to teach our kids to be culture-wise, to be media-wise, so that our kids have the strength and the character to be able to stand for the good, the true, and the beautiful five minutes a day. Let me put it in another way. In America, we have Hallmark cards. I understand you have them here. And on the back of Hallmark cards, they have a little thing that says, for those who care enough to give the very best. What is the key word there? Everybody's saying care. A few people are saying care. But it's care enough. 96% of Australia is upset about the media's influence on their children. But do the politicians care enough to listen to the voices of that 96% to stand for the good, the true, and the beautiful and not fund films that are undermining the character of our children and grandchildren? Do the parents care enough to spend five minutes a day teaching their kids to be media-wise and not become addicted to the mass media of entertainment and be filled with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and go off the deep end. Do you care enough? You know, Hollywood impacts your church. Your church can impact Hollywood. Well, I think there's a sort of message of, of redemption, of the idea of actually of forgiveness, of this theme that plays throughout the entire piece. And more of overcoming your fears and kind of climbing the obstacles before you. I haven't gotten any of these questions on the recovery. Good! Or in the entire press junket. Well, guys. For $100,000, Les Miserables. Best family movie. Ice Age, Continental Drift. The best movie for mature audiences. Marvel's The Avengers. Movies last year that are going to be totally overlooked at the Oscars. They're not suitable for children, and most people have ignored them at the box office and packed your life. That's my son, uh, Pierce, here, who's sitting in the front row. He's getting a retreat in Tasmania. Let me tell you a story while we're looking at that slide. How many of you have heard of a man, a Christian, a Christian saint, if you take saints, we're all saints in Christ, Telemachus. It was Ronald Reagan's favorite story. It was Teddy Roosevelt's favorite story. Teddy Roosevelt wrote an article about the man in the arena. Telemachus was a little old minister, pastor, way off in the hinterland of the Roman Empire. It was at a time where the gladiatorial games were so debauched that if I mentioned it here, Karen would take me off the stage. It was awful. People were being done horrible things. And Telemachus came to Rome, guided by the Holy Spirit, went into the games, saw what was happening, and said, stop in the name of Jesus Christ. Nobody paid any attention, so he jumped the 12-foot wall that the that the elephants and the tigers couldn't jump into the arena, this frail old pastor. And he said, stop in the name of Jesus. 
and one of the gladiators ran him through with a sword. There's a cost. And as he was dying, he looked up at Caesar and he said, Stop, in the name of Jesus. And when he died, people started leaving the Colosseum in Rome. And it was the end of the gladiatorial games. One week in one set of games, 61,000 people were killed. Imagine this, one man jumping into the arena. 96% of the people care about this. Who is the man in Australia? Who is the man in Perth? Who is the man in this church who is going to jump or the woman into the arena and say, stop in the name of Jesus Christ? Who cares enough for their children and grandchildren to hear the voices of those 96% of the people so you can make a difference in the name of Jesus? Now, Pierce is doing that by starting the retreat. Robbie's doing that by helping me. I hope you talk to Pierce later. But I want to see you doing something significant for God. I want to see you telling the greatest stories. I want to see you teaching your kids to be culture-wise. You know, Karen was nice enough to set up a book table for us, but we sold all but three books. This is everything you need. You're not going to get it anywhere else. This can change the lives of your children and protect them from the future so that they're self-motivated. Do you care enough? If I have to take those three books home, I know you don't care enough. I want to see you make a difference. So I'm asking you, in the name of Jesus, to be the man or the woman in the arena who jumps in and says, Stop, in the name of Jesus Christ, not because you're filled with anger and lividness, but because you love people so much that you want to protect them from the wiles of the adversary and see them turn to Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit to go forth in victory in the name of Jesus. God bless you and have a wonderful day. Fantastic. Yeah, that's a, a real privilege and an honor to have, uh, you know, a, an international uh, peak uh, critic, critique, student, changer. I think church done badly is all we do is we condemn culture. I think the church's high calling is to create culture. Amen. And over the years, uh, sometimes the best of uh, human creation has come out of that which has been given over to God. You know, Handel's Messiah, the Sistine Chapel, some wonderful things. Uh, we have just about done. It's been fantastic to have all our guests. Thank you so much for coming today. We really appreciate you making your time available. These are busy people with busy schedules, so we just want to thank you again for that. Thank you so much. And thank you, Dr. Ted, for come to uh, the Bronx of Perth. It's often called down here, and it's fantastic. And uh, I think we're with you. So it's fantastic. Now, just as our normal church giving, we're just going to pray for our offering. But as part of our commitment, we'd love to assist uh, Dr. Ted towards his traveling expenses. He's come all the way from the United States of America. So we are going to take up an offering just for that. If you're a guest here today, please feel under no obligation or to give. But if you're a, one of our partners, Southside Partners, we'd love to wait upon you for that uh, special offering. And so we're just going to ask the ushers to come and do that right now. And uh, is Callum here today? 
is Callum here today? Oh, it's a shame, actually. He would have enjoyed that. Uh, Callum has uh, uh, quite a unique uh, movie ministry gift on his life. Uh, he's been already, already identified. He's got a scholarship to make movies and things like that. And uh, he would have been great to have him here to hear that because he wants to make movies that will have those redemption day. Send him to Hollywood. I think he might be interested there. Yeah. Uh, Dad said has got the thumbs up there. So we'll have our uh, team up, please, the worship team. We're going to close in the final song. God bless you. Don't run off. We've got uh, tea and coffee fellowship. Some of the nicest people that you'll meet anywhere in Armadale are here today. So don't rush off. So let's stand. And thank you very much again, Dr. Dead, for coming and uh, telling us about how we can do Who loves a good movie? I love a great movie. But, boy, it's hard to find them sometimes. <laughs> so thank God for the good ones. Last night, my family and I watched Galaxy Quest. It's one of our favourite movies, the historical records. <laughs> so it's good. Um, let's sing Happy Day. <laughs>